The Bible reading for this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, and we're reading verses 1 to 17. If you've got a um, church Bible, it starts on page 785. So Matthew 5, 1 to 17. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Lyndall pointed out that I said the congregational meeting's in April. It's not. It's in March, as the notices say, the Jan-approved notices. Don't trust me with dates. Um, I was told, though, that um, from a reliable source, that my hair's not as grey in person as it is online. So I may be getting old, but maybe that's a good thing. A good thing that... Whatever. I'll leave Steve to explain any details that need explaining regarding morning tea after um, church. I forgot to mention that stuff. And one day we may bring back the break in church. Remember we used to have a break when the kids would head out to KPC Kids and you could stand and watch the kids head out? Um, We may bring that back one day. We'll see. How about I pray as we look at the passage that was read and a few verses each side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to transform and and renew our minds. We pray that you would grow our appreciation of the mercy that you've shown us in Jesus. We pray that you would speak to us through your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. They're the words that Jesus said to his disciples. It's Jesus saying, be so distinctive, so unique, so attractive, so different, that people will see your good deeds, see through you, and see your Father in heaven. 
He wants his disciples to be like light cutting in through darkness, you know, um, like a lighthouse with the beacon shining through into the darkness. Standing out like lighthouses, he says, let your light shine that others will see your good deeds and glorify God. That's the key verse to have in mind as you're looking at the passage for today. And it may well be the key verse to have in mind as you look across the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Be so distinctive that others will see, will look to God because of you. Why are these chapters, chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew, why are they known as the Sermon on the Mount? You could Google it, you could spend lots of money on an expensive commentary, or you could look at the passage, and you'll see the start, and if, if you go the bookends, the start of the passage and the end of the passage, if you look at um, 5 verse 1, it goes, Now Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So he's teaching his disciples on the side of a mountain and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's not rocket science. Um, Jesus taught his disciples, taught them how to live in this sermon or this packet of teaching. Um, that's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. As you flick through the chapters, just flick through your pages, you go through chapter 5, through chapter 6, through chapter 7. And towards the end of chapter 7, you come to verse 28, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And you just go down into 8 verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So chapters 5, 6, 7, just across into 8, it's all one unit, one block of teaching. I believe there's five through Matthew's gospel. One block of teaching where Jesus speaks to his disciples, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to his disciples in the hearing of the crowds, in the hearing of people who aren't disciples or aren't disciples yet. Um, another thought with this, though, yes, it is a Sermon on the Mount. They're recorded for you. These words are recorded for you. Steve's already pointed out by Matthew, the ex-tax collector. These aren't word for word what Jesus said, I don't think. This is like the executive summary. This is Matthew's purposeful compilation, maybe even translation of what was spoken in that block of teaching that day. Um, I don't think that Jesus would have necessarily given a sermon like we treat a sermon, as in a monologue for 25 minutes. There may well have been interaction and conversation happening. Um, but we're reading this compilation of Jesus' teaching as like a purposeful summary of his sermon on the mount that day, teaching his disciples. As we work our way through, what we'll see is we'll see what Jesus taught the 12, taught his disciples and others who would follow him. And as we look at what he teaches them, the implications flow on for us too, as we seek to be followers of Jesus as well. And as you look at what he teaches them, what he teaches them is how to be different, how to be his followers, his disciples, to be as different as night from day, to stand out like the eyes on a snail, obvious, um, 5 verse 16, their light will shine. Others will see their good deeds and they'll see through them and see God, see Jesus, see our Father in heaven. So as we um, consider Jesus' teaching of his disciples, you can expect what he says to them to cut through to us too. You can also expect that what he says will challenge us, challenge the way we think, 
the way we live. It might make you squirm a bit as you think about how Jesus would have you live as his disciple. Um, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he doesn't just speak to Christians, I've already said, he speaks to, the, 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 he speaks to the, the disciples in the hearing of others, in the hearing of non-Christians, which is helpful for us to be reminded of too, because do invite your friends to church with you. Do invite your friends to church who aren't yet Christian or who aren't Christian who don't even think they want to be Christian because as they look at Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, they'll hear what it means to be a follower of Jesus and hopefully they'll be pointed through us to God the Father. On the mountainside that day, when you look at 5 verse 1, Jesus was talking in the hearing of the crowds, in the hearing of all the unbelievers. So it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. But the rest are there listening in, so that when you come to the end, back at 7.28, when he finished speaking these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He's speaking to the disciples in the hearing of others, and they too are being attracted in to what he's got to say. So as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Um, Jesus teaches us how to live the Christian life, how to be shining stars. Um, Please do invite friends to church with you so they too can see what it means and be attracted in as well. So with those thoughts on the Sermon on the Mount, come back now to chapter 4. So we're going further back beyond where the Bible reading started. Um, Look at now at, from verse 12 of chapter 4, this is like Matthew's introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, setting things up for us. And you'll see how Jesus calls people to follow him. So in verses 12 to 25 of chapter 4, you see um, it's the second half of chapter 4, you see his introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, setting up who it is Jesus will be speaking to. If you just for a second flip back into chapter 3, you'll see there um, John, uh, Jesus was baptised with John, and then he went out into the wilderness, was tempted. In 4 verse 12, Matthew tells us that when Jesus has heard that John was arrested, Jesus gets out there and starts preaching, starts speaking. Um, Matthew tells us uh, that he, he goes to, to Gal- uh, returns to Galilee, goes to Capernaum, which is up north of Galilee, and notes for us in verse 12 that this happened in fulfilment of the Old Testament. And you get these notes of fulfilment all the way in, through Matthew. As Matthew points out, Jesus did this to fulfill what was said. So if you look at 4 verse 12, when Jesus heard what, uh, that John had been put into prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. So here's Matthew saying, the Old Testament's being fulfilled. Here's Jesus shining a beacon into the darkness. Um, If you look at 4 verse 16, he's quoting Isaiah. You should have a footnote there somewhere. Jesus is portrayed as a light shining in a dark place, a beacon of hope in the darkness. Notice how similar that is to 5 verse 16 and the way he expects his disciples to be. Jesus is a shining light and he expects them to be as well. Um, When Jesus hears John's arrested, he gets out there and starts shining his light. And the light he shines, it's there in 4 verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There's Matthew's summary of Jesus' message, his light. The kingdom of heaven's near. It's here, it's upon you. Repent, that means turn around, come back to God, because the kingdom of heaven is near or here or among you. 
Basically, he's calling um, people to follow him. And then you roll your eyes down through to chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So his message in 4, verse 17, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 5, verse 13, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In chapter 5, he's talking to his disciples. He's saying, you're in. You're in this kingdom, this kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Back in 4 verse 17, he calls for repentance because the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, he wants you to repent so you'll have it. Chapter 5 verse 3, it's yours. You're in. Back in 4 verse 18, Matthew then shows the first account of people beginning to repent, beginning to come to him. Uh, there's Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They hear the call to repent and they drop everything. Literally, leave everything. Verse 19 says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. These men do. They leave everything. He says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of people. He teaches them on the mountainside, tells them how to live in a way that makes them like a light shining in the darkness so that others will be attracted in to see God the Father. I take it that's how they'll be, fishers of men. Speaking of this kingdom, living the kingdom. He's calling people to follow him, to be part of the kingdom, and to catch others in, in the process. Um, back in chapter 4, verses 21 to 22, next there's James and John. Matthew tells us James and John, sons of Zebedee, become followers of Jesus. They repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. They become fishers of men. In fact, they leave their fishing boats and they leave their own father and start following Jesus. What's Matthew showing us? Like, he's recording this purposefully. Maybe he's just showing us the, the cost of following Jesus, what it means to repent. It's dropping everything and putting Jesus first. Peter and Andrew, they walked away from their livelihood, walked away from their jobs to follow Jesus. So did James and John. They even left their own father. When we turn to follow Jesus, yeah, it costs us everything. But when we turn to follow Jesus, we receive the kingdom of heaven. We gain the kingdom of heaven. So when you look at Matthew 4, 18 to 22, it's setting you up. It's showing you this is who the disciples are. This is the followers. This is what it means for you to repent. This is what it means to become part of this kingdom. And as you look at it, you're reminded, yes, the Christian life is all-consuming. Jesus calls for repentance, to stop living your way, start living his way. Um, then in 4, verses 23 to 25, you see that massive crowd of people I think we're meant to recognise these people haven't necessarily repented. They're just there. They're probably attracted to these miracles that Jesus is doing, the amazing things that Jesus does. In uh, verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus is preaching the good news about the kingdom and he's also healing. And so news spreads. These are genuine healings. It's not fake stuff. It's attracting a crowd. If you look at verse 25, uh, people come from as far away as Jerusalem to find Jesus. Trek for days, that means. And so that's how Matthew introduces this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calling his disciples, calling them to follow him, to repent. They become part of the kingdom of heaven. He sits them down on the side of the mountain and starts telling them what it's going to mean for them to be his genuine disciples. Um, and in this sermon, Jesus teaches his disciples to be fishers of, of men, to be so attractively different that they will attract others in to God the Father, to stand out like that so that people will praise God our Father. 
teaches us and teaches them how to live for the kingdom of heaven, which brings you to the next point in the sermon outline. If you are following along and now we start to speed up because that's the way the sermon outlines tend to go. What is it actually, what's it actually like to be a follower of Jesus? Now we start looking at the Sermon on the Mount. At the start of chapter 5, um, we have what people call the Beatitudes. It's a nice big word. Again, you could Google it or you could just think about it for a bit and have a look at what's on the page in front of you. If you look at verse 3 and you compare that with verse 10, if you look at verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you look at verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then you notice the change in verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you. So he's speaking to the disciples, saying, blessed are you because yours is the kingdom. Um, You notice the tense there. So verse 3, there's is. Verse 10, there's is. They have it now. They, they're, um, they're already counted part of the kingdom. But then when you look at verses 4 to 9, they're looking forward to it. Blessed are those who mourn, for, their, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. They're describing the life of a Christian, these verses. As, as a Christian, you are part of the kingdom of heaven. But there's even more to come, more to taste, more to know. When Jesus returns, I take it. You'll, you've already got it all, but there's much more to look forward to. And then next look at the contrast in verses 3 to 10. As you look at the content of the blessings, you'll see as followers of Jesus, those who have repented, those who possess the kingdom, we're distinctive, we're different. So we've still got in the back of our mind, what's this beatitude word meaning? It's basically a translation of the word blessed. It's, I take it it's Latin for, for blessed. But what does that actually mean? I think the word Blessed, it's often translated happy in some translations, but that feels very subjective. You can be happy about things that mean nothing. This is, this is deep, better than that, I think. This is um, being well off. It's the good life. That's what it means to be blessed. You're blessed because you have the good life. And so these blessings, these declarations of what it means to, be, to have the good life, they've become known as the Beatitudes because of some old Latin word. Um, but still thinking about the content of these, per- these verses, another thing you'll notice, if you've been reading the Old Testament, you'll notice echoes of Old Testament language through these blessings. The things that they're blessed by are things which are spoken of through the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, as followers of him, the kingdom you've been waiting for, it's here. The kingdom that the Old Covenant has been pointing forward to is here. This is the fulfilment of all Old Testament expectations. These blessings they fulfill the Old Testament. And then as the other thing to notice as you look at these blessings, what it means to be blessed, it's quite the opposite of what the world would lead you to expect. Um, I think if you think about being blessed in this world, you'll be thinking about having everything, having the perfect house, having the perfect family, having all that sort of stuff. But you look at this and it's saying the ones who are in the kingdom, the one who are, ones who are blessed, they're the poor in spirit. They, they, they know what it means to mourn, what it means to be meek. They show mercy. They're peacemakers. They rejoice in persecution. So if you look at verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's like saying, as Christians, you can expect people to persecute you, to pick on you. 
maybe even to hate you. As followers of Jesus, we're marked out as different because we're not of this world. We belong to the kingdom of heaven. We're living for Jesus in everything. And you'll see it in so many ways. In little stupid things like being the last person left waiting for the green man on an empty footpath with people already walking across the road. Those sort of awkward moments because as a Christian, you have a particular way you're going to live. It may be that your kids wear hand-me-down clothes because you want to give more money to missionaries. It's kind of these values, decisions that you make mark you out as different to the world around because you're living for Jesus. You're a follower of him. You're members of the kingdom of heaven. In the workplace, when um, you, you may become un- unpopular because you know what's right, you know what's wrong, and you're not going to cut corners. It's just these little ways that you stand out as being different. But hopefully in a way that makes the gospel attractive as people actually see through your actions, through your decisions, through your life. Start to ask the question, why are you doing these things? And eventually see God the Father sitting behind it all. As followers of Jesus, we'll stand out as aliens and strangers in the world because we're living for God. We're not living for this world. Our home is in heaven. We've left our nets. We've left our boats. We're following Jesus with everything that we have. Our, our life and our hope and our existence, it's tied up in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And we're looking forward to his return. And so we're blessed because we're really living. We really have eternal life. We really know what it means to live. And for those who have eyes to see it, they will recognize that you really are living. They'll see through you. They'll see Jesus. They'll see God the Father. And so the last part of um, the passage tells us not to stop being different, but to keep pointing others to Jesus. The last bit of the passage might strike you as a little bit tricky as at first when it talks about being salty. There's one other time Jesus talks about, um, in this language, about being salty. You'll find it in Luke 14, verses 34 and 35. It goes, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it become salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. How do you understand what it means to be salty? You can get all tied up again, do Google, read commentaries, whatever, or just think about the context. You don't want to lose this saltiness. You want to keep it. If you, if you lose your saltiness, you become not worth having. Um, if you look in the context of the passage we're looking at, to remain salty is compared with, in verse 14, being a light, being a city on a hill. I think it's all these things that make us distinctive, make us flavoursome maybe, make us stand out, make us the light in the darkness. And we don't want to hide our light, we don't want to lose our saltiness, our difference maybe, even if it means we're going to be persecuted. Jesus says, don't stop being different, keep at it. Be prominently Christian. Um, be kind of show-stopping Christians in the way that you live. And so you come back to where we started, 5 verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, as you come back to that verse and think about it, it's not saying be attractively different so people see you, is it? It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about seeing through us and seeing Jesus. And when you look at that verse, it's, not, it's also not a formula for seeing a church to grow do this and bang, you'll see church growth. It's not talking about that. It's talking about being a follower of Jesus in a way that makes others attracted to Jesus. Our objective is to see our Father in heaven praised, not just by us, but by others around us as well, 
to see others willing to repent, drop everything and follow Jesus, to be kind of caught hook, line and sinker with that fishing analogy. And so you come to the last point of the sermon outline, and that's for you. Are you living the Christian life? Have you become a follower of Jesus? As you look through Jesus' sermon to his disciples way back then, do you hear it ringing through to you now? Are you a follower of Jesus? What do you think? Are you distinctively different? Are you salt and light in the world? Or have you become kind of a chameleon, just blending in, very comfortable in your surroundings? Have you even repented? Have you turned back to God, put your faith in Jesus? Do you possess the kingdom of heaven? You know, the answer to all those questions are, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a Christian? I'm going to pray that you would be um, and encourage you, if you're not, to keep talking to others. And if you kind of have started to do that chameleon thing, maybe today's the day to encourage each other to stop, to start being a light. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would continue to work in our heart through your spirit. Lord, please keep convicting us of the need to repent in so many ways. Lord, please keep teaching us to live for your kingdom. Father, we do praise you for all that you are, for all that you've done. We praise you for your incredible faithfulness and for your amazing mercy and faithfulness and love shown in Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would use us to cause others to praise you too. Um, We pray that you would help us as a church to encourage each other to live distinctively Christian lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.